Am I not on? There we go. Hello, it is 8.10, so if everybody would come back in, we're going to get going here. So we'll wait till some people come back in. <laughs> get ready, yeah. They're blinking the lights. We are starting. They're flashing the lights. Blinking, flashing, strobing. Turning on and off. I think we're gonna we're gonna get started uh, just with uh, uh, a word of prayer, and uh, we're going after that. We're gonna go to a video uh, testimony. So uh, let us go before the Lord in prayer and prepare our hearts for this last uh, session. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you once again in the name of your Son Jesus, just thanking you and praising you for life. We thank you for the anointing of your Holy Spirit, and we thank you, Lord, how you move in us and through us. We thank you, Lord, just for everything that we have been able to uh, just partake in this week, and, and uh, we are just so blessed, Lord, uh, to glean from your word and look towards you, realizing, Jesus, that you and you alone are the only one that can heal our damaged hearts. We thank you for that promise. We thank you for who you are. We ask, Lord, just as we are preparing to wrap up this time, that once again that your Holy Spirit would just fall heavy upon us, that you would just overwhelm us with your presence, that we might see your face, that we might feel your touch, and that we might be overwhelmed by your love and everything that you have done for us. And we just pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This time we are going to have a video testimony. So, thank you. start by saying how happy we are to have this opportunity to share our experience. We're both feeling that the counseling received from Caring for the Heart is made for giving us a prosperous and happy marriage. The counselor helped us to see each other's hearts and to help us find the healing for our emotional pain. Because of the counseling, we're emotionally and spiritually connected in a way we never could have been otherwise. <clears throat> We met each other at the local airport, and we were both taking flying lessons. We had the same flight instructor, met the first time during flight school. I liked her a lot, and later on I asked her out, but she said no. I said no because I was terrified. Um, I was terrified of getting married. I liked him, but I knew he was the marrying kind, and I, the idea of marriage scared me stiff. So I told him no, but we can be friends. We became very good friends, and over the next six years, we drifted in and out of each other's lives 
during this time, I received some very good counseling. Um, help me to understand who I was in Christ and help resolve my fear of being a voiceless victim. By the time we started dating, I was an entirely different person. While I trusted him and wanted to open up to him, I was scared that if I opened up and he would not know how to deal with all my emotional baggage. Because of our close friendship, we both knew that this was more than just a casual dating relationship. Felt like we were gambling our friendship, taking the chance that we could have so much, something so much better. I know I felt like we were either going to get married or we were never going to see each other again. For me, um, good premarital counseling was a prerequisite for marriage. I had enough life experience to know that you don't just fall in love and live happily ever after. My perception of marriage was that people get married and they spend the next 30 years pushing each other's buttons. I knew we were going to have to get counseling in order to have a shot at escaping this destructive cycle. I loved him too much to knowingly enter into a doomed marriage. I had previous, account, uh, previous experience with caring from the heart because my parents had gotten counseling 10 years earlier. It changed their relationship. It revolutionized my dad's understanding of my mom's pain, and it emotionally connected a couple that had literally worn out numerous counselors. I knew <laughs> that if I was going to risk our friendship by taking the next step, I wanted to do it right. I wanted to stack the deck in our favor. When we became serious, my first thought, literal first thought, was of caring for the heart. I called and asked about counseling. Um, a few days later, I got the courage to ask him if he would go with me. I left off the premarital part because we'd only been dating three weeks. <laughs> I was relieved when he said he would go with me. I might have led him to believe that the counseling was for me because I thought he was that great guy from the perfect family, and I was the one with all the emotional damage. I knew her well enough to know that she'd had a rough childhood, and so going to some counseling didn't seem like a big deal. As our, as our relationship progressed, we realized that I would need to get some counseling of my own. The counselor helped me to address the symptoms of my problems, but it wasn't until I went to Caring for the Heart that I was shown that there was the cause behind those problems and found out that there was healing was available not just to pre prevent the symptoms but to actually fight the disease so when I asked her to marry me we were both very excited I just knew she was the one for me and I knew we were going to be happy together when he proposed I said yes but I was still scared I knew I loved him and knew he loved me but all I could think was I sure hope this works out I wanted to let him in, but I was petrified that if he knew how broken and how damaged I was inside my heart, he wouldn't love me anymore. I had the ring on my finger, but I was counting the day on the day with a counselor as the true test on whether or not we would make it to the altar. So the time finally came for us to go to the counseling. I was nervous, but also very excited. I wanted to throw up. <laughs> I was 
scared of facing the pain that I knew would occur when I started to deal with the issues in my past that was causing all the fear and insecurity in my present. I knew I loved him, and if we were going to have a chance at happily ever after, I needed to find healing. I was going to have to tear all the bandages off the wounds. It had to be done. But if it had not been for that wedding date, hanging it over my head, I don't think I would have had the courage to face the emotional pain. When we were leaving, I asked her what some of the things were that we'd be talking about, but she refused to answer. I remember him asking that question. I didn't know how to answer him. I wanted him to be in the counselor's office, sitting in the chair, when he found out how messed up I was. I think my refusal to open up unnerved him. I remember he consolingly told me, if the things in my past didn't affect our relationship, he didn't need to know. I remember thinking, doesn't affect our relationship? Everything affects our relationship. It's who I am. And then, oh no, oh no, he's going to run. He's going to run. The look on her face told me that I hadn't been taking this nearly as seriously as I should have. But it was also the face of the person that I wanted to marry. And I knew I was going to be there for her. So I walked in the counselor's office basically blind. I didn't know what we were going to talk about. And as it turned out, I didn't have a clue as to how differently the counseling style was from anything else I had ever experienced. First day was kind of awkward. I think we were all just feeling each other out. I remember my leg shaking. I was very nervous. I couldn't figure out why I was so nervous. We spent the first day going through our family and church backgrounds. We went through the personality tests that we'd taken online prior to going out. I'm sure we went through a lot more that, that first day. is just a blur. I walked into the office a little sick to my stomach. I remember everything being really laid back and mostly just the getting to know you stuff. The counselor started the conversation and by telling us that unless we were able to emotionally connect, we shouldn't get married. I was expecting this. This is why we were there. I also remember that the counselor used the word if when referring to our marriage plans. While we were just chatting, you know, chit chat, um, my aversion to gifts came up in passing. I know gifts were on my mind because of all the shower plans and the gift registry expectations. I remember the counselor zoned in on that comment and proceeded to lead me through the reasons why I felt so threatened and controlled when I was given a gift. It was the oddest thing because I remember thinking, out of everything that's messed up with me, we're talking about gifts. I almost seemed irrelevant, but I think it was a crack in my armor, a place to start. I had the assignment later of purchasing a gift for her as, as if she were a little girl gift that didn't have any strings attached. It may seem like a weird thing to do, but as we went through with the counselor, it made perfect sense. I remember I, I bought her a My Little Pony, some stickers, a coloring book, and some crayons. That night as I went to sleep, I remember wondering what he was going to get me. I was all excited, but a little nervous that he was going to get something really dumb. And that... <laughs> 
I was going to have to pretend I liked it. But he got it right. I opened, remember opening up the Walmart bag, and something shifted inside my heart. And I felt myself tearing up over a plastic horse with colored hair. I know that something must have shifted inside my heart that day, because later that afternoon, I noticed at Bed Bath & Beyond, and for the first time, I was interested in registering for wedding gifts. I had no idea that this little issue had been causing me so much pain, but dealing with this little issue let me fully experience three showers and all the joy of the wedding gifts. The first thing the counselor asked when we got to the office the next morning was, what did he get you? I guess my smile said it all. I was emotionally connected, my heart was available, and everybody knew it. We started that session by reviewing the character trait tests we'd taken the afternoon before. It's amazing how insightful and educated reading of the results was. One of the things I learned from her results was that she didn't always have to be in control. We learned that this part of her personality only came out when she was threatened or scared. When that happens, she takes control and then everything has to be just perfect in order for her to feel safe. But we found out that her natural personality is much more free-spirited. She didn't always have to be in control. And if her heart is protected and she feels safe, she can relax even when things aren't perfect. One of my greatest fears about our relationship was the difference in our personalities. I knew that I was attracted to him because of how kind and gentle he was with me, and I loved the fact that my opinions were of utmost importance to him. Yet I was also insecure that he wouldn't voice his own opinions or make decisions. When the counselor explained that the scores meant, it helped me to understand how he thinks and he makes decisions. It showed me that he had very strong opinions, but because of his low impulse and high discipline scores, he makes very decisions very differently than I do. This part of the counseling was very comforting to me. I needed to know that I wasn't going to spend the rest of my life either walking on eggshells or walking all over him. The day before, we'd also begin, been giving a list of uh, pain words to, to go through and put a value, one through ten, on each of them. When I saw her list and all of the tens, I was blown away. I had no idea she was in so, that kind of pain. I was just surprised I was able to get through the list at all. I had been in a counselor's office years earlier and been handed that same list of words and asked to read it, and I shut down. I wanted to throw up. I couldn't deal with it. The counselor was going to go through the, the words and categorize them, but I remember he just stopped. He said there was just too much pain, before, that there needed to be healing before we could continue. So he looked through the list and picked out something. I don't, don't remember what it was. He started leading us, or more accurately, leading me to lead her through a prayer, in a prayer of healing. That style of prayer was a little strange at first, but became more natural as we got used to it. 
I felt overwhelmed with fear at the thought of praying for healing. I knew I was a believer, but it often felt like an imposter when praying. God felt so far away. I was scared that I would ask and wouldn't get an answer. That if I poured my heart out in a puddle, my pain would be met with silence. As we prayed, I was asked to, led to ask Jesus for a word picture. My fear and insecurity overwhelmed me. I panicked. There was no picture. I felt like a loser praying to a heaven made of bricks. It was at this point that the counselor asked me if I saw anything. I did. I remember it being Jesus standing on the other side of the room with his arms open waiting for her to come to him. For someone with a Mennonite background, that was a little strange, but it was very powerful. When I looked up, I saw the tears in his eyes, and I knew that he got it, that he got me. The fear just faded away. The fear that he would not understand my pain. The fear that he was going to think less of me, that I was weird. The fear that he was going to run screaming from the room. It all went away in that single look. And that moment, I knew I had a champion that he would be a spiritual leader for me, bridging the gap between Jesus and my pain. She experienced a tremendous amount of healing that day. After we left, we went for a picnic, and it was obvious that she was exhausted and just emotionally spent. So she laid down to take a nap, and I sat down and started reading, thinking she'd be asleep for hours. But 20 minutes later, she woke up, and said she felt like she'd slept for hours. We talked for a bit, and then she said she was ready to order the wedding invitations. She'd known exactly which invitations she wanted for months, but hadn't been able to order them. I could see the tremendous weight that had been lifted off her. When we got to the office the next day, it was different. She was different. She was no longer afraid. She was no longer emotionally locked. She was carefree, nearly euphoric. We, we laughed a lot that day. The counselor worked with us on how to connect emotionally and how to reach each other's hearts. We also spent time going through his pain words. The counselor led us through a prayer of healing for him. He also gave me the tools I needed to get and keep his heart. Overall, the day flew by. Later, I noted that the counselor had stopped saying, if you get married, and it had become, when you get married. Thursday, we discussed the concept of leaving and cleaving. Not just emotionally, not just physically, but emotionally. We had to become emotionally dependent on each other and not on our families or friends. He showed us how important it was to remove unhealthy people from our lives. I discovered that because of my own insecurities, I was attracted to self-involved, needy people who never gave back. I had an addiction of needing to be needed. The counselor made it very clear what a deterrent it would be to our marriage if I continued to invest in emotionally unhealthy people. They would suck me dry, and I would have nothing left to give to my husband.
he gave me a very clear ways to break the cycle of emotional codependency. We also worked through um, conflict resolution. One of the things that had been an issue was that she was often late. And in my family, being late is just about the worst thing, so it had been an issue. It had been a big issue. I knew how important being on time was for him. I would purpose to do my best, you know, lay out the clothes the night before and all that. But I'd always seem to fail. Well, not always. I was on time two or three times. But when I was late, I would feel sick to my stomach because even though he never raised his voice or slammed a door, I could feel that he was angry with me. And this scared me. And the counselor explained to me that the more pressure I put on her to be on time, the, the later, the more she couldn't think straight and the later she became. He showed me that if I didn't change my behavior, that her behavior would never change. In other words, I had to be okay with being late. She needed to know that I wasn't going to get angry if we were late and that she came first. That it was more important to me that she was more important to me than whether we were on time. At the time, it seemed like a kind of a simplistic way to deal with the issue, but when we got home, I tried to put it into practice. Now we're rarely late. And when we are, I'm not embarrassed because I know I have her, and that's all that matters. By Friday, we had nothing left to do but plan the wedding. We talked through the various potential family conflicts and ways to deal with them. It was even to the point that the counselor had a pen and paper and was drawing a diagram where everybody was going to stand. We went, also went through ways to remain emotionally connected throughout the day so that we could both be in the moment and experience the day to its fullest. We walked away from the counselor's office armed with a plan. Every detail of the wedding was evaluated based on whether it helped or hindered the goal of being connected. Having practical, personal ways to structure our wedding and still remain connected alleviated a lot of the stress related to the wedding planning process and gave us the tools we needed to have the most wonderful day of our lives without any regrets than we did. It's amazing how much I've healed since we got married. I am so secure in my husband's unconditional love that I almost forget that I used to be broken. Mm -hmm. When we were preparing for this, this conference and this testimony, we were going through our notes and I found that list of pain words. As I read it, I was surprised that that was me. I felt like it belonged to someone else. I couldn't even identify with that level of pain anymore. I am truly free from the power of a painful past. I don't live there anymore. Our marriage has been the most wonderful, magnificent time of our lives. Thanks to what we learned in the counselor's office, we, we've been able to connect and stay that way. We were, we were able to remain emotionally healthy by supporting each other. And the counselor told us that we had what it takes to be in the top 1% of marriages, and it sure feels that way. We're so happy that she practically has to downplay how happy we are to her friends just so they won't, won't envy her. 
I mean, what are you supposed to say when that person comes up to you and goes, how's your marriage? I mean, I'm crazy in love with my husband. He meets all my emotional, spiritual needs. I mean, he's the most wonderful man alive and I can't get my hands off him. How's your marriage? I mean, <laughs> Looking back, we know it wouldn't have been possible without the counseling. Without it, we would have been pushing each other's buttons and wouldn't have had any idea what to do about it. Instead, when she's upset, I have the tools I need to get and keep her heart. I learned that if she up, gets upset with me, it's not just necessarily that I did something wrong, but just that I stepped on a pain button. We can figure that out, work through it, instead of taking it personally and fighting back. We're so happy. It almost seems like we've floated through these first two years of marriage. I'm not saying we haven't had struggles or disagreements, but when they occur, it's nice to know that you have your best friend on your side, that you're in it together. They have your back. Thank you again to Caring for the Heart for this opportunity to share our story. That testimony comes out of the premarital series. That's one of seven testimonies in that series. And uh, this particular girl had a mother who was 99% perfectionistic with expectations, 99 controlling, 99 angry, <clears throat> and 99, if you didn't do it her way, she felt rejected. Before the wedding, her siblings sent her mother and father on a cruise so they wouldn't interfere with the wedding. And the day before the wedding, they came back. The mother had ruined everybody's wedding for, for years, all the children's weddings. And um, the mother at the rehearsal dinner, I told this fellow, I want you to stand up and say, this is the most special day that my fiance is going to experience. And this is her day and she's planned her wedding. And I want you all to make this a beautiful day for her. If you have any changes you want to make in the wedding, you have to talk to the pastor or me. You don't talk to the bride. Because the mother was frustrated because she couldn't control and change the, the rehearsal uh, time. The mother called me two weeks after the wedding and said, who changed the rules about weddings? Why can't mothers say what they want to say at a wedding? I said, um, I was the one who made that decision. Your daughter and her fiance came into my office and they said you were controlling and you placed expectations and you'd ruined one wedding after another. And I decided this wedding would not be ruined, that this bride was gonna be valued. And I told her expressive 10% husband who was assertive at probably 30%, I want you to stand up and protect this girl from her mother because her mother had totally destroyed her heart. What she would do, they homeschooled six children, and the mother would tear the kids apart emotionally and verbally, tell them 
but she felt rejected if they didn't do their homework right. And she would focus on her pain draining the six girls. And then after she ruined them for a whole day, she'd go to Walmart and buy them a gift to appease the pain she caused. She'd done that for 18 years of this girl's life. And that's the testimony you saw here in the DVD. I showed the daughter that she could be free. I said, I'll lead you in a prayer. You need somebody to care. Look at your boyfriend and see if you'll care about your pain. He had no idea. She had never told him her pain. She was scared he's going to run out the door. Instead, he started crying and started caring. And this young man messed up his girlfriend's pain. Her depression was at 99%. Two and a half years after they were in my office, this is the story. After the little girl was born, she called our office. And Cindy answered the phone, my receptionist, and she talked nonstop for 30 minutes how much fun it was watching Daddy care about a little girl, her connecting to the little girl, having Daddy care about her. And she says, I never dreamed that I would ever experience this. I thought I was going to ruin my husband like my mother ruined me. And she says, I'm having so much fun, I can't believe it. In fact, she said, in fact, a number of people that have gone through the premarital series have said, we're still on the honeymoon two years after our wedding. You know why? Because they resolved the pain from their past. They understood each other's emotional needs and they started caring about it. Now in this final session, you can take your last sheet that you received. Uh, looks like this. And we're going to talk about how do you develop emotional intimacy, emotional connection in a relationship. <clears throat> intimacy is not something that very many couples ever experience in their marriage. People feel in a, a marriage distant, unloved, uncared for. We often wonder if our spouse will ever love us. We miss the feeling of being close to someone, being understood, cared about. We read books on transparency and we're supposed to intellectually be transparent with each other. But most couples, when they're transparent with each other, start fighting because the husband says, I can't stand what you're doing. The wife says, well, I can't stand you either. And they emotionally lock because instead of having their hearts connected, they try and intellectually spar each other, which causes a person to build walls and build barriers in relationship. Emotional intimacy is essential if a couple is to experience the oneness God designed, but few couples ever experience it. We communicate intellectually from our head, but we never know how to emotionally connect with our hearts in relationship. How do you connect emotionally? The first way is to turn to your spouse or to your boyfriend, girlfriend if you're dating and ask them, could you put in one word which your core emotional need is, which I, if I met it, would make you the happiest person in, your life, in, in the world. Everybody has a core emotional need. Whether you're single or married, doesn't make any difference. Doesn't make any difference your age. Everybody has a need. And then I ask to ask a second question. Could you put in three words what your deepest pain issues are? Everybody that's ever been alive has pain. 
that they've experienced in their life. And that pain is tied to experiences that they've experienced. And those experiences are tied to terms that we use. So if a person says, my deepest emotional need is to be accepted, I know they've been rejected. If a person's core need um, is to be um, given attention, I know they lacked attention. They were neglected emotionally. If a person says, my core emotional need is to be loved, I know someone did not connect with them and that's why they're feeling lonely. Now when you sit down and you just study another person, it doesn't make any difference if it's your husband, wife, a friend, um, fiance, boyfriend, what happens is you start to understand what's really happening inside their heart. Now you can have an intellectual relationship, emotionally detached guys will talk from their head. How are you doing? You feel fine? Are you okay? You want to talk? Okay, no wife will ever talk to a husband like that. Now a husband has to drop into his heart. What is your deepest need? How can I meet that? And most couples never talk that way because in our culture, everything is cognitive, everything is intellectual. And most counseling models are intellectual. We want to change the mind, we want to change the thinking process. This counseling process with caring for the heart, we have to change the heart. And the only way we can change our heart is through prayer, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everything comes out of our heart. Sin resides in our heart. Emotional need resides in our heart. Pain resides in our heart. Jesus said that. What's in our heart depends on how we respond, whether we're angry, whether we connect in relationship. Each individual has a desire to be loved. Everyone wants to be appreciated. Everyone wants acceptance. Everyone wants to feel significant, valued. And we want to be secure in relationship. Every wife wants those five things. Every husband wants those five things. Now we've been taught in the last 10 years that men don't have needs. They're not emotional. They're from another planet. That's not true because when I sit in my office and I have a wife look at a husband and say, what is your deepest emotional need? Every man has defined a need. And every man has a capacity to open their heart. They're as emotional as women. They don't show it the same way, but they have emotional needs and they need to be cared for. But we've been taught through books that we read that men are just sports-minded. They need challenges. They don't have a heart, just women have hearts. That's not what the Bible says. Men have as many needs as women to emotionally connect. Intimacy involves a commitment to love. The Bible says that husbands are to love their wives. Wives are to phileo their husbands. Men are to agape their wives. Intimacy involves a commitment to honor and respect one another. Intimacy involves a commitment to openness and communication. 
with one another. Now, if you read my material in premarital, I don't even have a chapter on communication because communication is never the problem. If you resolve the sin issues in a person's life and the emotional pain, two people will talk nonstop. If a person, guys in pornography, his wife can't connect with them because he can't love above a 3% level. It's going to ruin communication. If a wife is bitter toward her husband, it's going to destroy communication. Communication is never the problem. Communication, if it's not in a relationship, tells me something's locked. So I don't tell people, talk. If I tell people, why don't you talk with each other 20 minutes a day, the guy will look at his wife and say, what do you want to talk about? And the wife will say, I don't know, John told you to talk. So talk. Well, you try and make people talk, and that's not going to solve a problem. But I've had guys in moral failure, I lead them to resolve it, all of a sudden their heart opens. A guy that's been damaged emotionally, like the testimony you saw the other night, where a guy was sexually abused and emotionally damaged, never been loved, he didn't know how to open his heart. As soon as he resolved his pain, he and his wife talked nonstop and it flipped him on a honeymoon. Thirdly, or fourth, <clears throat> intimacy involves a commitment to appreciation, gratitude. Fifth, intimacy involves a commitment to submission. We like to focus that wives ought to submit to their husbands, but do you realize in Ephesians it says the husbands and wives are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Men need to be as submissive as women. When a man submits to his wife and wants to know how she feels and wants to understand how she feels and makes decisions based on her heart, a wife never pulls away because he is submissive in his attitude. He's not controlling, he's not uh, emotionally damaging her. Sixth, intimacy involves a commitment to cleansing. In Ephesians 5.26, the Bible says that a husband is to cleanse his wife as Christ cleansed the church. This gentleman you just saw in the testimony decided he was going to take a girlfriend that was all messed up. He was going to make her beautiful because he was going to live with her for 70 years. He could have had a miserable wife. All he had to do was step on these four pain buttons and he would have had a real angry wife. Instead, he started caring about her pain and he messed up her problem. And guess what? The wife got excited about her husband. She gave her heart to her husband. Her husband felt loved. He gave his heart to her, flipped him on a honeymoon. Two years later, they're still so excited about each other they can't contain themselves. Intimacy cannot be achieved if there are problems within a relationship that emotionally damage. If there are sin issues in a person's life, you can't have intimacy. For example, if a guy has a pride problem, it's all about me, and he doesn't focus to care about his wife, they're not going to have a relationship. If a wife is bitter, you can't have a relationship. So those seven spiritual issues have to be resolved. Secondly, the emotional pain from one's past has to be resolved. The abuse has to be resolved. And the pressure patterns have to re be resolved. And we've talked about each of these through the week. Obviously, we didn't have time to go through all of them. But in our premarital series, or in my marriage counseling, I go and help couples clean up each one of these issues. What happens when you do that is two people connect and you can't pull the marriage apart. 
Now, when I started counseling as a pastor, I did understand something. Someone would come in and I would say, uh, what issues do you want resolved? They would say, um, my mother was abusive to me, critical and angry, and uh, my father had high expectations of me and I'm in pornography. And so I would leave that person to resolve those issues. Then I would take the girl and identify her issues and she says I was sexually abused and uh, my mother was controlling and I would lead her in a prayer to resolve that. What happened was people started calling and saying, can we have the honeymoon that couple has? I said, I didn't put them on a honeymoon. They said, well, they're on one. They're talking nonstop and they got their hands around each other and they're connecting with each other and we want what they got. I said, if you realize the five hours, how grueling it was, they had to repent of every moral sin in their past. They had to resolve every aspect of pain from the sexual abuse. They had to forgive everyone that hurt them. And I went through the process of everything I do in my office. And these couples says, I don't care what you did. I want the honeymoon they had. All of a sudden I realized something. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had no sin. They never fought. They never had conflicts. They cared about each other. There was no sin until sin entered. When a couple marries, obviously they've had 20 plus years of problems. So a girl sexually abused, a guy gets involved in pornography and she reacts to his lusting after her because of her emotional damage. She's bitter toward her mother. He's angry with his father and they get married. And all we require of them is that they're saved. So they both say that they're saved, so let's get married. Everything's fine. No, it's not fine. We have four problems in that relationship that are gonna destroy the relationship. What I started doing in counseling is I started helping couples resolve each of these issues. When you resolve these issues that you see in the screen that we've talked about this week, what happens is a person heart opens and there's nothing keeping two people from being connecting. It's interesting when we do seminars, we have a small room in our office and we invite 27 people to come. And when they come on Monday, the room is filled. All the chairs are tight in a room. That's all we can get in. When it comes to Friday, because the couples have started working through their issues in the training seminar, the room looks half empty because the husbands and wives are sitting on one chair. So we could get twice as many people in the room on Friday that were on, on Monday. When I'm counseling in my office and I'm getting to Thursday and Friday, I know when I'm to the last issue because all of a sudden the chairs will move and the husband will touch his wife. He wouldn't even look at his wife on Monday. I couldn't even get him to focus on her. He wouldn't even touch her. He hated her. He was so mad at her. All of a sudden on Thursday, everything changes. Why? Because all the sin issues and all the emotional pain issues have been resolved. And when that happens, two people come together. When I begin a counseling session, two people are emotionally distant. That came as a result of issues that locked their relationship. As we began to work on this issue and this issue on her side and this issue on his side, all of a sudden two people want to touch each other. And I ask him a question, how close is your heart to each other? 
And a wife will say, my heart's touching yours. And then I ask a second question, how far was your heart away from me on Monday when you walked into my office? One gal says, 20,000 miles. Another gal, my heart was in Australia. Another one said, you chopped my heart in 100 pieces and I put it in 100 cities in Europe and you'll never find it. I have all kinds of stories like that. What happens when you clean all these issues up is all of a sudden two people connect. They look at each other and you can tell in your office when two people connect because their faces change, their hearts open on their faces, and they can't stand being apart. Now, I don't care what culture a person's from, because I've dealt with people from about every culture I can think about. It always, everybody touches when they're loved. Everybody tries to connect and they move closer. And some people can't get close enough, so they jump in each other's lap because they can't get close enough fast enough. And they don't care about me, that I'm looking, I'm sitting across the desk because they long for relationship and they long to be loved. In a relationship, we want to ask the question, can a man emotionally connect to his wife? Can his wife take love in? Can a wife emotionally connect to her husband? Can he take love in? There are four questions I ask every week in a relationship. One of the things I encourage people to do is to ask questions directed to the heart. And in the Caring for the Emotionally Damaged Heart workbook, um, chart 25-2, you have this in the last chapter of that uh, particular book. You ask your spouse questions each day, where's your heart? How far away is your heart from mine? Have I damaged your heart today? What is your deepest need today? What do you want me to do to care about your heart? Now you can do this with your children. You can do it with your spouse. You can do it with a friend. It doesn't make any difference because this is just emotional connection. It has nothing to do with sex. Then what I encourage people to do is what I'm going to call the 51010. Five minutes, once a day, if you're married, you sit down with your spouse and you ask questions directed to their heart. Did I fill your cup yesterday with love? You said you wanted acceptance. Did you feel acceptance by me? You said you wanted to be understood. Did you feel understood by me when I talked to you yesterday? And then 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening, you emotionally connect. Whatever the need is of your spouse, you start caring about it. If your wife says to you, I was never cherished and my mother never held me. A husband looks at his wife's eyes and cherishes her. And he says, could I hold you? Like you wanted to be held as a little girl. Your daddy never held you. Can I start holding you? You watch, that wife is going to get all excited if that's her need. On the other hand, the wife might say, I just want someone to listen to me and value me. Husband says, can I do that tonight? What area do you want to talk about that you want to be valued about? And you just focus to care about that. Now, just remember 5, 10, 10. Five minutes once a day, you ask questions directed to the heart. Not head questions, heart questions. Then 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening, you emotionally connect 
to care about what your spouse's need is. Now, if your spouse leaves at four o'clock in the morning, obviously you don't get up at three and do this. You just do 5.20. Five minutes of questions, 20 minutes of connection in the evening, and it goes both ways. Now, you don't mix love. What I mean by that is this. I don't want the husband to say to the wife, do you feel love tonight? And the wife say, do you feel love tonight? Because you can't respond that rapidly. Well, the wife focuses for 10 minutes on her husband, and the husband says, now it's my turn to focus on your heart. Now, this is kind of fun because it's going to flip you on a honeymoon unless you haven't resolved the sin issues or the emotional pain issues in your past. And if you haven't resolved those, ask your wife a question directed to her heart. Are you frustrated in holding something in your heart that you want me to help you resolve? Is there a pain in there? What is your three deepest needs? How can I care about those? If you take the sheet that you have in front of you, on the one side is a list of pain words emotional pain of one's past. On the left-hand column, if you're married or if you're single, doesn't make any difference, you identify the different ways you experience pain. Let's say that you felt neglected and he, your dad was emotionally detached. You're going to define that. On the right-hand side, this is for marriage, but you can do it as well with two single gals together. How would somebody meet that need? So if your wife has those two issues, she's going to identify how she, you, she wants you to meet those emotional needs in her life. If you turn over, you have a whole bunch of positive words. And you ask your wife, what do you need? If she says, I want to be cherished, she's going to put cherished on the left-hand side. On the right-hand side, she has to define what does cherished mean? How would I, as a husband, demonstrate love to you so that you feel cherished. What happens in this little assignment is you start identifying the emotional pain issues, the emotional needs, and you begin caring about those issues. Then the next few weeks you take your five minutes. If your wife says, I want you to cherish me, say I spent 20 minutes last night focusing to care about your heart. How full did I fill your cup? Did you feel loved by me? Did you feel cherished? Is the pain still in your heart? Now, if your wife has pain or your husband has pain, I want to encourage you to pray what I call a we prayer. A we prayer is where you're talking to Jesus about another person's pain. And I'll make one up. Jesus, my wife, was never valued by her mother. Her mother was always so busy, she never had time for her. Her daddy was emotionally detached. So my wife never really felt cared for. She felt neglected. And she wants attention from me. Jesus, can you draw a picture of the damage that caused because she didn't get what she should have gotten? How would you heal her heart? Now you wait two minutes and let the Spirit of God prompt and answer those questions. Because you can't heal your wife. It doesn't say, do any good to say, heal thyself, wife. It doesn't solve anything. It just makes her mad. But when you pray like this, Jesus comes and prompts an answer. And something heals. Jesus, what do you want me to do to care about that as her husband? What happens is, 
All of a sudden, Jesus prompts you what he wants you to do to care about that person. Now, this is what I call emotional connection. And I encourage couples before they get married, instead of being involved sexually, like 90% of couples will do before they get married, I encourage them, instead of getting sexually involved before marriage, to leave that till after marriage, to connect emotionally, doing this before they're married. That's why this couple you just saw was on a honeymoon. Every day, on every day, he looked at his girlfriend's eyes and he says, do you have any pain? Can I care about that? What are you struggling with today? Two and a half years later, she only found three words on that whole sheet of four columns. And when she threw up, almost threw up, she had tens on every word on those sheets. Because a husband cared, he messed up her depression, messed up her pain, and she became a beautiful girl to live with. And let me say this, God designed marriage for fun. Doesn't sound very spiritual, but marriage can be fun. Most people don't realize that, don't experience that, because they're stepping on each other's pain buttons, and the husband steps on the wife's pain, the wife steps on the husband's pain, and they lock with each other every day. They don't talk for a couple days. They're frustrated. The husband walks out angry, goes to work, works long hours because he can't stand being with his wife. And the thing just reciprocates over and over again. God never designed marriage for that. God designed marriage for two people understanding and caring and experiencing fulfillment. A number of years ago, a couple came to my office. They had been involved in a lot of immoral activity. And they felt so guilty that they couldn't open their hearts to each other. He had made a financial decision that lost $230,000 without talking to his wife. And every time they deposited something in the bank, a creditor took the money away for 20 years. And this lady had a bitter attitude toward her husband. Someone told him to come to Caring for the Heart. So they came. And I'd like to close uh, this week with this little testimony. It's my favorite testimony. The couple's from Arkansas, and you'll love it. Thank you so much for coming this evening. I have to tell you that many years ago, I took the Dale Carnegie course to learn how to speak in front of people. And I think I'm the only one to ever flunk the course. <laughs> so, uh, you have to know that if this walls are shaking like me and the Lord, we're all in trouble because the, the building may tumble in on us. So. But anyway, we're thankful to be here. The Lord just shared with me today as we were going down the road. She said, Harold, if we make it through tonight, well, I know there's a God, so. <laughs> Our prayer is that we can relate to you how God took an evil for evil marriage and turned it into a loving relationship. The Lord and I dated for about three years when I asked her to marry me, and she immediately said yes. 
we were both so infatuated with each other that we didn't stop to think about all the problems and consequences that we would have. I looked up, looked up the word infatuation, and it means lacking sound judgment, completely carried away by foolish or shallow love. That was exactly us. <laughs> we both had just come out of a hurtful and bitter divorce and brought a lot of baggage and moral impurity into this marriage. Things went pretty well for the first 10 or 12 years. Come a little closer to the mic. I don't sound real loud. I was, I was wrapped up in my two children, and when I felt lonely and unloved, I went out shopping for things I didn't even need. Harold was then working from daylight till dark. By the way, we're ranchers. Trying to make another dollar. He had such a poor self-image and felt total rejection. He thought if he could accumulate enough worldly goods, well, he could feel accepted. This really caused my bitterness and anger to surface. I soon learned that things and stuff didn't make me happy. About this time, Harold made some uh, very poor business decisions and boy, did our world fall apart. For the next 20 years, our marriage was a total mess. We bickered constantly, and only by God's grace did we stay together. All this time we were Christians, but we still wanted to run our own lives. We know now that God was trying to get our attention, but we were so rebellious that we just wouldn't give in. We had been to many marriage counselors, but could never get any lasting help. Things would get better for a few weeks, and then we would go right back to our old self again. We decided no more counselors for us. In January of 98, we agreed something had to change. We started reading the Bible, fasting and praying together. We were so determined to have a better marriage. And I'm the one that has mercy. <laughs> Things improved some, but we had so much baggage, we just couldn't get free. We were so locked up, Dolores told me many times that we could never experience intimacy because of our previous marriage and lifestyle. She almost had me believing it, but praise God, he never gave up. We both agreed we would uh, hold hands while we prayed. Sometimes I only touched the end of his finger because I was so angry at him. But we found out you can't stay mad when you pray and touch. And then it finally got to more. <laughs> <laughs> we heard about BCC through some tapes and my brother had loaned us. This gave us a new ray of hope that there might be some help for us. We saw something different in these tapes and thought we would try counsel one more time.
We called BCC in March of 2000 and got an appointment for 14 months later. My brother called and got his appointment for two months after ours. Well, I talked him into trading placing with us because I had heard that if you go to BCC and tell everything about yourself, or you, you had to tell everything about yourself in order to get free. And I was afraid if I told all, and then they wasn't competent, that we would really be in a mess because we couldn't forgive each other. <laughs> he, he and his wife had a marriage and didn't have all the baggage that we had. So I felt if we told every, yes, I've already said that, so I'll, I'll go on. I'm going to read, read it twice. We call my brother every night while he's in Colorado Springs. He was so excited and got us so excited we could hardly wait. We even counted the days. The week we were there was the most rewarding but also the hardest week we ever spent. Even though it was hard, we could hardly wait for the next day's session. Each day we were being set free a little at a time. We were starting to love each other with a heart and become emotionally connected. After the last section, we headed home. We were, were still both very much uptight. The real impact didn't come until we hit, uh, we were down the road some three hours. We hadn't spoken a word all that time. That's the truth. <laughs> when I reached over and took the Lord by the hand, she melted. I knew when he took my hand that he was a changed man because he was never the one to make up. At that moment, our whole world changed. We laughed, we cried, we had a whole new marriage. It was as if we had just left our wedding and was on our honeymoon. We felt God's total love and forgiveness, and we felt total forgiveness from each other for the first time. At last, we were free to love and be loved. We, felt, we both felt so clean. And the only way I can explain how I felt was that, that I had been in a terrible nightmare for 20 years. And you just woke up. And I just woke up. Okay. Oh, I did? <laughs> It has now been 15 months since our week at BCC. We now have the intimacy and love in our marriage that we so long for but never thought possible. We know it was all made possible through God's grace, His love, and His forgiveness. We will forever be grateful to BCC who gave us their time and spiritual depth to lead us to freedom. Thank you.
thank you for your wisdom and your love and your knowledge and we thank you Lord that regardless of the things that we have to go through regardless of the pain Lord we see in your words that though tears last for a night joy comes in the morning oh God we thank you so much just for the promise that you've given us that it's you and only you that heals the damaged heart Lord, we celebrate in that truth. We celebrate in that promise. And Lord, as we go from this place and we go to our homes and, and we go where you have us go to fulfill the responsibilities that you've given us, we pray, Lord, in the midst of all of this stuff that we try to remember, Lord, may we go just overwhelmed with the love that you have for each and every one of us. God, you love us. Lord, may that carry us. May that carry us. We thank you so much. And we just pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ and all of God's children said, amen. Go in peace.